You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn f***er! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 65 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. And uh, any former 65s in the Bruins? I couldn't think of one coming in today. So, oh, I thought um, maybe um, what was that kid? That guy's name like uh, Brian Robbins or, or something like that. He was like the fighter for a game, but he was 64. Ah, uh, so um, I couldn't think of anybody. Week. I think, I, yeah. think, I think we're out of luck on this one. Yeah, Bobby Robbins, UMass Lowell Bob, legend. Yeah. Bobby Robbins, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Bridget, no looking up. I mean, you can't, you can't <laughs> I cheat. I had to look it up. You can't cheat. Are there any 65 Bruins? I don't see any here. Okay, well. One of these days I'm going to remember to look this up before the podcast, and yeah. then you'll be really you impressed know, with them, yeah. I know. I'll be like, well, from 1997 to 1999. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even finished saying your get, name. As we get into these in. more and more obscure numbers. Yeah. I don't, I don't think uh, there's a 66 either for next week, so. But 67, I do know a 67, but we'll, we'll hold off on that. Anyway, um, so this is episode 65 of the Skate Podcast, and I don't know, what's that, 23 with us? I'm losing count. But we're... Uh, we're going to dive into the first two games of the Bruins season, uh, kind of a tale of two games. thought the first game against Dallas was, you know, um, pretty good first game, all things considered, pr- uh, pretty professional win. It wasn't perfect by any means. And then the second game against Philly was an absolute stinker um, all the way around. I think maybe Coleman and McAvoy had some good nights. Everybody else didn't really show up. Martian was okay. Um, Scott, I'll jump to you first. Uh, takeaways from the first few games. Uh, so with... 24 hours now since the second. I think if we if we had done this right after the second game, I would have been a lot more like, what the hell was that? What did we just see? With 24 hours of separation and rewatching a little bit of it, uh, I'm a little more willing to just kind of write that off because I I feel like yes they look sluggish at times, but the the mistakes that led to goals I think are very fixable. And Swayman having probably his first bad game as a pro. Um, giving up five goals. And I would say at least three of them were stoppable, um, or you should have done better on. The last one was the, the last one you needed to have. There yeah, were the, a few that was, was that Konechny or was yeah, that yeah Konechny from the slot? See, that I thought that was kind of a good shot though. Yeah, it was a good a shot, key, but he had he, a clear I, view. We've I, seen him make that save yes. before. Yeah, 
Um, and then the the one where Van Riemsdyk just throws it off his pads from the corner and it goes right into the slot and uh, Scott Lawton bangs it home. That's, he's going to be in better position and, and direct that puck elsewhere instead of right into the slot. Um, and then was, oh, so the Atkinson two-on-one, uh, you know, like two-on-ones are going to be tough anytime. The second one or the first one? The first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he did get his arm on it and ends up kind of just trickling it past him. through, so. exactly. He got, and there was, there was another goal where he got a piece of his stick on it, but he wasn't in the right position. He had to kind of jump back to get a piece of it. Um, and he said as much himself that it was not his best game. I uh, tried to take a little bit of accountability for it after the game, but yeah, it it wasn't something we've seen from him yet. So obviously the immediate overreaction is, oh, are, is this what we're going to get? Because, you know, we see game one, what we expect, and then we see this game. I think it's an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah, and, and unless unless or until we see it happen again, whether that's next, you know, if it starts to become like a consistent thing where every few games he struggles, like, okay, then we can talk about it. But yeah, for now, look, he's made 12 NHL starts, and I would say 11 of them were good to excellent. So, yeah, you know, one stinker. And the other mistake, like the mistakes that led to goals... Two from Mike Riley, who yes. I generally think is a really good puck handler. Well, um, he had one turnover in the neutral zone that led to which was brutal, and that was bad. And after that, he commented on after the game too, and he said, nine out of ten times I make that play, and there's no issue. But this time, it, it got blocked. It comes back real fast, and no time to get back on defense, and it ends up putting Swayman in a tough situation. So yeah, Swayman made some mistakes for sure. Goals he'd like to have back. But there is way too many errors out in front of him, and they put him in that situation on a lot of times where they need to clean that up. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually in this in this episode we'll work our way back a little bit more towards the Dallas game. But this Philly game is so fresh in the mind, and, and there's a little bit more to take away from it. Um, you know, I do want to get to the schedule too because I think that played a factor in this game. But to that point, you know, I'm watching Riley and and, and Forbert had a bad pinch and. Carlo and, 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 you know, a lot of these guys, um, you know, they were really fighting on the back end, uh, moving the puck last night. And, you know, I'm watching that, and I feel like that's a product of overthinking, which is a product of having so many practices without any games that I just think these guys, they're in their own heads a bit. And, and you, you can see it, like, last year, the Bruins, especially on the back end, they weren't really... You know, back during the Chara Seidenberg era, and it was a different team and a different style of play and a different era of hockey. But they used to, if the play wasn't there, they would you know they would circle back and retreat and do the you know reverse around on that and whatever. Since Cassidy's been coached with these younger defensemen, they they push the pace up. They, they go north, right? And I thought that last night you kind of saw that young defense core reverting back to what the defense before them used to do. They, if they didn't see the play, they kind of they'd sit there instead of pushing the play. And so there was a lot of like going back and waiting for things to open up where and it just wasn't working for them and Philly was getting their forecheck going. And then like Riley, I just thought that, you know, he he's overthinking it. You got to you got to move that puck quicker and and you go with your instincts and I thought he was overthinking it and that play that Bridget was talking about where he tried to force uh, to the wing. You know, it was it was easily telegraphed by by Joel Fabry and uh you know, you move that puck quicker and and things happen for you. But I just thought that 
you know, the puck that went over Riley's stick, you know, that's kind of bad luck. Forbert's pinch was a bad pinch, but I just think they're overthinking a little bit right now, Scott, with well, yeah, a lot of practice. Flat, and they're flat, and that has yeah. to do with the schedule. Then they come play uh, against the Flyers, and they're clearly not flat. So you could tell there was a difference in the two styles of play, who was ready to go and who wasn't. And you mentioned it, it's the second game of the season. They look like it's the second game of the season. Well, they specifically look like it's the second game with Russ still to work out. Because, as we say, you have you play one game and you think, like, okay, you're getting into the season. Already delayed, even with that one game. And then you have three full days out, you know, basically four days before your next game. And it's like, yeah, that, that's just so unusual. I, I definitely think it's a factor. Because you're just not used to having that many practices. And they... I think the Bruins have tried to, when asked about this, they've tried to pull the positives from it. They've talked about, you know, well, as you're kind of building your team early in the season, building chemistry, uh, you'll take those those practices and try to take advantage of them. And it's like, all right, but, like, you also had training camp and you had preseason. And, like, you do all that stuff then. Once it gets time for the season and you're seeing games on every night, you want to play and you want to be out there. And, like, that's that's how you're going to get into game, to your point, like, you know, getting up to game speed instead of looking for here's where that lane's been in practice or here's where that guy's been in practice. And, you know, you can get in, to your point, like you can get into this mindset of expecting things to play out exactly how they do in practice and expecting that to be like what you, your breakout or transition looks like. And in games, it can just completely change and you've got to be able to adjust on the fly and see things as they're happening and not necessarily how they're supposed to happen. Um, and, yeah, I just think they they look like a team that just isn't up to game speed yet. Because structurally, or I guess I shouldn't say structurally, like systematically, I thought even last even uh, Wednesday night against the Flyers, they still controlled play for pretty long stretches. And at, time, like, at times I thought looked like the clearly better team, which they in this, are In the second be. period, and then in yeah. probably the first five to eight minutes of the next period, the final period, they looked pretty strong, and then they give up that fourth goal they couldn't end up coming back from. Yeah. So, like, I thought there were times that they looked like a team that was better than the Flyers, but one that still, with a few exceptions, struggled to make plays to break through and create great chances and score goals. And then at the other end, they were just making mistakes and handing the Flyers chances. Yeah, and I think... You know, the Bruins have a lot of turnover up front. You know, that first line, they're still trying to find their swagger. You know, they're obviously going to have their their time of possession. They're going to have their chances. But, you know, like any other star players, they're no different. Like, once you get those first few goals, and Martian has them. You can see him buzzing around. But when, when Bergeron and Pasternak find the back of the net uh, for their first of the year eventually, probably, hopefully against Buffalo tomorrow, you know, they'll start to, you know, they'll be back. You know, they'll be they'll be a, a scoring threat all the time like they like they are. For the other three lines, um, the middle two lines specifically, you got you get some turnover and some new some new um, personnel, and so you know during training camp and um, you know those first two weeks of practice, like like you said, Scott, like they're going over certain things and certain looks, and and they're trying to find them out during the games because they want to see okay, can that chemistry from practice carry over to regulation games. Um, but it's it, but I don't think that's exactly how the chemistry starts. I think the chemistry starts like how you saw the fourth line last night. You know that that Coleman goal is a is a, is a product of 
Um, I think Nosek got the puck to Fre- uh, Frederick in the slot, and he just kind of threw it on net. Hit a flyer skate, goes to Kuhlman. Kuhlman buries it. Okay, so it's not how they drew it up in practice, but now they got a goal, and now they're feeling some some they're feeling good about themselves. And Likewise, the fourth, line, the fourth line ended up with more time because yeah. of the injury to Felino, which we can circle back yeah. to. And speaking of the fourth line, just real quick, Frederick has looked a lot better in the regular season than he did in preseason. It seems like a switch has flipped. Um, he's moving his feet more, uh, and it's very evident. But, um, you know, the second line, uh, I think Craig Smith is one of those guys where once he gets some puck luck, he'll start to feel it. Coyle is still working his way back. Um, but, like, I think they've they've been forcing plays. The power play has been forcing plays. Um, but you look at the Taylor Hall goal, the mm-hmm. breakaway goal, it's a, it's a it's it's a off a broken play from the Flyers and a bad line change. You look at Marshan's goal, um, you know, it's, it's both – uh, spearheaded by McAvoy, uh, gets the puck to the net. Pasta does the wrap around. It just you, you got to play that dirty style, that gritty style, and I think that's where the chemistry starts to go from there because the confidence goes there. Also, thanks to Rasmus Rasmus Ristolainen, the one of the Flyers' two big trade acquisitions on on both of those goals because he's yeah. one who goes with a bad change, gives Hall yeah. the breakaway, and on Marshans he he's standing right at the post. He has body position in Marshand and. Neither plays the puck nor ties up Marshan. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, dude? Like, <laughs> not not much going on between the ears with him, but he's definitely a, <laughs> he's definitely a physical player though. And you know, that, like, that's about it. Like that's all, yeah. all he does. Sure, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, but but you know what though? If if he could, so if I, if this were a Flyers podcast, I'd be saying, you know, the coaching staff just has to let him know. Look, you got to simplify your game. Um, and if if Ristolainen were to simplify his game, I think he'd be a lot more effective than he is. But they gave up a first rounder for him, so. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, he. Oh, they they totally redid their defense. Yeah. They added Ellis Yandel and Ristolainen, so they were they were trying a whole yeah. new look defense for them. Yes, and I think look, I think the Flyers will be they'll be they'll be a good team. I think Kim Atkinson is a really good addition for them. Yeah. Um But you know, Ristolainen, like, yeah, he's he costs a couple. Well, he's you know part of a few goals against, but he also dropped Bergeron in front of the net. Granted, it was a penalty. He also, you know, um, sent Coyle flying, so I'm sure he's a good physical presence for the Flyers. I wish the Bruins had a little bit more of that, uh, because one of, the, one of the things I saw lacking last night as well, especially when they were down a few goals at different times in the game, I was hoping that they'd be a little bit more engaged physically. Um, I don't think yeah, the personnel it, it for it, but, you know, I kind of wanted that. Like, Frederick, maybe. and I, He could play a good game, but... Well, Carlo got caught. Uh, was it late in the late in the second period, or maybe this was the the one in the uh, at the end of the game? Oh no, this is at this is at the end of the third period. So Carlo goes to be physical out in front of the net, and there's a bit of a scrum, and then he ends up being the only one that goes to the box, and they end up pulling Swayman, but it's still a five on five with the extra attacker because Carlo's in the box, and they're trying to kill off a penalty at the same time they're trying a last ditch effort to tie the game. So there's a little physicality there, but it, it well, backfired. Well, and Coyle responding to that wrist yeah. line and hit it takes a penalty that leads to a fly well, possibly you, you goal. Can't so. give, you can't you know, say anything bad about Carlo and Coyle in that situation because a lot of the times it should have been matching. But well, no, I it, think I think in well, I don't know about the Carlo one, but Coyle's in, a trip. He tripped him. Yeah, well, he, well, he he, him and it was a clean hit from Ristolainen in the first place. So. Yeah, I guess uh, before I throw it to you, Scott, let me clarify. I guess I would have liked a little bit more physicality between the whistles, but not like bone crunching hits, similar to like like the DeBrusque play in Game One against Dallas, where you're just hard on the puck. I wish they were harder on the puck. I'll put it that way. 
little bit yeah. harder on the puck. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, because I was going to say, in terms of, like, the classic definition of physicality, like, once they were trailing, they had the puck so much that it, you know, there weren't a ton of opportunities to, like, go throw a hit. Like, they they were the ones with the puck that the Flyers were trying to trying to knock off. Um, but, yeah, to be stronger on the puck, hold up better to those hits, sure. Because you did see quite a few Bruins, like, get knocked down almost as if maybe coming back to the whole, like, not up to game speed, like, almost like they didn't expect a, a hit to be finished or weren't quite prepared to, like, you know, to brace for it. Yeah. I, I want to circle back to the Felino injury that happened in the second period. He missed about half the game, left the ice with an upper body injury. Now it's, you know, he's not looking. He's not going to play against Buffalo. They think maybe he'll be able to play after two games out, um, but we'll still see. They're still evaluating that. But at, at that point, we're, we're midway through the, the second period, and Cassidy has to change all of his all of his lines. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see the inconsistency because, first of all, they're double-shifting Pasternak. So he's getting time on the first line, but they also had him on the third line with Howla and DeBrusque. And Coyle's getting mixed mixed around a little bit. And so you weren't really that full game able to look at the lineup as Cassidy wants it to be. You're right. Um you know, I, I, think, I sense a butt. No, coming no, no, <laughs> no. But I, I was just gonna say, last podcast, I think I forget which one of you guys posed the question. Actually, it was Scott's questions. But like, which Bruin are you most worried about? I, I may have said Felino. Oh no, I think I said I don't know who I said. But with Felino, it was kind of like my my biggest concern with him is is his health. Can he stay healthy? And I, unless you guys saw something I didn't, I didn't see anything crazy last night. I mean, he 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 he, he ignited a scrum. Um, at the end of the first, I think, or the, in the second period, but nothing really came of it. And when I hear upper body, to me, my mind goes right to his back, and he's had back issues. Is it a back issue? I don't know. Because um, I, I didn't see anything crazy during the, during the game that would have said, okay, yeah, that, he got hurt in that play. But to your point, uh, Bridget, yeah, no, we didn't get a chance to see the lines in their entirety for a full 60. So, and it's even if we did, it's still only the second game. But Yeah, it, I mean... They didn't change. They, they didn't change the top line much. Like that, pretty much stayed together. But but, the, but they were getting more ice time. Yeah, the second line, no no actually ended up with a couple shifts with Hall and Smith, which might have been, you know, so Coolman kind of moved up to the third line for a bunch of shifts. They I guess they still wanted Nosek to get ice time, so maybe that was a way to do it, and maybe you know. If I, where ice time's increasing with a player out, you know, maybe Coyle's not quite up to speed to handle more shifts. So, um, you know, while we're on that subject, it, it looks like... Now, this could obviously change on Friday, we'll see, but it looks like the Bruins probably aren't going to call anyone up, at least for Friday's game. You know, they're out on the road, they still have 12 healthy forwards. Um, Craig Smith also missed Thursday's practice, but it sounds like he'll, he'll be fine. Cassidy called it a maintenance day. Um, if Felino ends up missing more time, or I guess just in the case of any injury, like, are we already at Costa Nica time, or, or you know, what are, what are what are you guys thinking there? Because I think for the one game in Buffalo, it's fine. It looks like they're gonna for the undefeated Sabers. You know, and Anton Bleed's gonna go in, and it looks like it'll either be Nosek or Kuhlman moving up to the third line. Nosek potentially moving over to the right wing there. 
Um, and then Frederick moving to center on the fourth line. You know, I would say for one game I'm fine with that. If Felino ends up missing a week or longer, like that's not the lineup you'd want for any prolonged period of time, I don't think. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see like if the Stanika thing becomes a real discussion because there's also not really a natural fit there in terms of replacing your third line right wing because Stanika has played the wing, but they don't really want him to play the wing. They want to keep him at center as much as possible. Eric Halla, I was trying to look this up, and I think he's played a little bit of right wing, but like a very little bit. He's generally been center or left wing. So no matter, like if you were going to do that, someone's ending up out of position, unless you like moved Coil to the wing and put Stanika as I would second line assume center. you're if you're if you're not willing to. Move Sadnika out of center, then you can't be willing to move Coil out yeah. of center at this point. So, I mean, yeah, I I just want to see Sadnika with the big club. You know, I, it feels like a sooner rather than later thing. It, does. I, it really feels like we could we could end up seeing him fairly soon. Yeah, and look, I, when they didn't start him in the opening night, um, you know, roster again, it's not that big a deal because I know. We all know whether it's injury to Felino or somebody on the third line or Coyle isn't up to snuff in the second line. Like it wasn't going to be long before he gets that chance. Um, you know, obviously for Buffalo tomorrow, it's it's a one. It, they don't they shouldn't need him for that game. And I think that uh, logistically, it doesn't make a ton of sense to make him go there for one game. Although I do think the Providence Brewers are in up. I think they're in Utica playing the Comets or whatever they're called. So, um, not too far from Buffalo, ironically. But you know. I, I just I, I understand the Bruins wanting to keep him at center, but it's like, look, uh, to have him go from the minors to you know second line center, that's a big that's a big leap, and so any any chance for him to even just get on the ice and be around that that atmosphere and be with the team in Boston, if he's on if he's at center, great. If he's on the wing, whatever, it's not that big a deal. I just I, I want this kid on the Bruins. That's it's as simple as that, and and you know. I'm not going to sound the alarm on Coyle just yet because it's only the second game and he's working his way back from surgery. But even when Coyle's at his best, I just don't know. Like, I don't see him being that guy like for this team long term. And I'm, not that Sadnika is either because he's going to have to prove that. They may have to go and, and, and go outside the team at some point. Um, I don't know. I just haven't loved... I haven't seen... You know, with Krejci, again, he, he's an all... He was an all-world player for what he did, um, and with the, with Taylor Hall, you know, he came over from Buffalo, and not many practices, if any, and they were they had instant chemistry. And I'm just not seeing that instant chemistry with 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 uh, that mean, they second had, line. They had a very good final game to preseason where you could see an inkling of it, yeah. and it hasn't translated quite yet during the regular season. And we're only two games in, and I'm not willing to you know be pessimistic about it yet. I still have a lot of optimism that that could get going. Yes, and I, I do want to say one thing, because the, Bridget, they did look good in that game, but one thing that people don't talk enough about with David Krejci is how good he was defensively. Like, he was a really sound defensive player. And and with Coyle, um, yeah, the, the offensive chemistry is not there yet either with, with that line. But last night, he couldn't get the puck out of his own. And defensively, if you're a second-line center, you got to be good at both ends. And um, again, it's early. The whole team sucked. Um, the ice looked like it was brutal. Like it was, it looked like TD Garden ice. Like the puck was bouncing everywhere, like a tennis ball. But 
defensively, he he seems to be struggling right now, and that could be a, that could be a, um, a matter of him just not having enough ice time um, lately. But to, I guess it's a roundabout way of saying t- to your question, Scott, like because if if Stanika were to come up after Buffalo, it would be because Felino's, Felino's out. Um, but yeah, I want to see him. I, if if Felino's out for more than more than Buffalo, well, I else, absolutely want to see him. Who else would you bring up? I mean, Wagner could be. A, they could bring up Wagner. They could bring up somebody, somebody else that kind of fills that. That that. I don't know. It should be Stanika. I, I just don't know. It, it, it seems that, like he would be the thing. first in the depth chart to come up. He should. Yeah, be. and that and where it's a top nine forward, specifically talking about Felino, but if it's a top nine forward out, and it's like, okay, I you know, Nosek is probably the one on that fourth line who has the most offensive pop. He's Played on the third line in Vegas a little bit last year and and did okay there. Did pretty solid job. So maybe he's fine there. Like maybe you're okay and this works out. But if you're struggling to get off in somewhere, it's like okay, well, Nosek on his off wing on the third line doesn't look like a great fit. Or you move Coolman up and you know I think we kind of know what Coolman is at this point. Like he's always going to give you good effort mm-hmm. and and he scored last night. So you know. <laughs> I say he doesn't have a ton of offensive pop. He did score last night. I understand, but in general, he doesn't bring a ton of offense. Um, you know, like if you if that's what you're working with, and it's like, hey, we could use a little more offense from the third line. It's like, how would you not just like look at Stanika and be like, yeah, like that that's the guy. Like let's let's not overthink this. Like he's the most talented offensive player of that group of guys that could slot in there. Yeah, and he. Like he put the work in in the offseason. He got bigger. He's not an eighteen year old kid anymore. I just think he's ready to go. And I I watch him, and I don't think he's gonna light it up like you know like uh, like Pashnak or anything like that. But I, I I can't help but think to myself, you put him on your team for eighty two games, eighty games, seventy five, seventy whatever. Like he can put up twenty five, thirty points. I I really do think he can, and that's that's significant upgrade to your offense and. You know, think back to last year, and I might be remembering this incorrectly, but didn't the Bruins start the season, like, without a regulation goal in, like, seven periods? Or was that... Yeah. Yeah. And if you remember, Sonika was the one who broke through for them uh, against the Flyers, ironically enough, at home. Yeah. And I just think, like, you know, um, I think there's a spot for him on this team when everybody's healthy, M- maybe as a fourth liner to start, but if if Felino's down, I absolutely want to see Sonika come up again. I don't think it makes much sense for the Buffalo game because, frankly, they shouldn't need him. Um, but if Felino's out for uh, a few more games, bring him up and and let him try to you know do his thing. And again, Coyle, look that second line center job. That's Coyle's job to lose, not Sneka's to win. But how long? I mean, we're talking like it's his job to lose after a certain amount of games. It's not. Yeah. We're not at that point yet. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're if you're approaching Thanksgiving and. You know, Coyle as a second line center playing with Holland Smith has like five points, six points. I mean, and they're all like assists or secondary assists. Like, there's a conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. But again, it doesn't have to be Coyle's job right away to, that Sadika takes. You know, again, if if it if there's if the only way to put, play him is to play him on the wing on a fourth line role for a few games, I don't really care. I just want to see the kid in the spoke be. Uh, did you guys want to get into some of the stuff Jack talked about? So we Would love to. So it's. Thursday when we're recording this and uh, Jack just filmed with OMF. He's on OMF usually after every Bruins game. Um, 
And so he had a few interesting things to say in his reactions uh, to the game because he was not broadcasting it. It was on TNT. So we kind of got his thoughts on OMF after. And I guess we'll start with the goaltending just situation. Just MF now, by the way. What? Just MF now. It's yes. just, oh, yes. I, mm-hmm. I do this all the no, time. No, no, I've no, been no, here no. too it, long. It could, no, it could still be OMF. Only Merloni and Foria. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've been here too long. It's been OMF for... For too long. Um, they kept it that. <laughs> Only <laughs> millennial floor, eh? That actually would have worked. So we'll start out with what he had to say about Swayman, and then kind of about, in hindsight, a little bit about Tuca. We all know Jack is, um, you know, uh, sympathetic to Tuca Rask, but we'll start with uh, what he had to say about Swayman, and then we'll react to each of these four cuts. Uh, Christian, I, I thought he uh, had a bad game, and he said as much post game and and that impressed me uh in that he's accountable um in, in general uh the bruins looked like a team playing its second game of the season against a team that it had more reps and was hungrier and was more alert i i don't think uh there's any player you can point to on the bruins uh maybe with the exception of mcavoy who didn't make an egregious mental error. Uh, most of them got away with them uh, last night, but uh, you know we know who didn't get away with it. And uh, the goalie—they keep track of his mistakes on the scoreboard. So you know, I I think he'll be better for it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, disappointing because, uh, as Bruce Cassidy said after the game, uh, they needed a save when they didn't get one. Yeah, I mean, obviously Swayman wasn't going to play perfect all season long. I think that certainly we have high expectations for him, and rightfully so, but he is only still a kid. And, you know, last time was one of those games where you say to yourself, okay, maybe it's a good thing they brought Olmark in. Maybe not for five And we're going to see him in Buffalo. We will see him in Buffalo. But look, the team sucked in front of Swayman. Um, but, you know, he he also sucked behind them. So it's 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 one of those things where hopefully he can learn from it. I also thought that the Bruins, you know, had some, you know, I, I thought he, he had an Ill, ill-timed goal against, you know, the Bruins tied the game 1-1, and then, you know, the Flyers' door breaks. So, note to the Bruins, if you ever lose momentum in a game, just, you know, get the delay to fix your doors, your bench's door for 20 minutes. Um, that, that changed the game, honestly, in hindsight. It could have, at least, because then the Flyers got the power play and whatever, and they scored eventually. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't his greatest effort. Um but it's going to be a work in progress. And I, I do think last night was um, probably going to be one of his worst games of the year if I had to, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see Swayman play too many games like that. I just think he's too good. I think he's got the right mindset. You know, he's he's tough on himself. Like He's going to demand better of himself. Um, and we've seen him... You know the, the goals. The goals he gave up. Like we've seen him make those saves before, and you know the, the specifically like the you've got to have a one with connecting in the slot. Where yes, it's a good shot, but Swayman sees it all the way, has a chance. Like we've seen him make those saves before, where it's like, all right, like mark that one down if the Bruins come back or hold on to the lead or whatever it is. And I think more often than not, he's going to make it. And I feel. Pretty comfortable saying that, even after a short sample size. Um, you know, but as... So, the column that I wrote for Thursday morning was... 
as with any rookie player, really at any position in any sport, you're you're gonna have nights like this. Like there are very few rookies who can come in and are gonna be really good and really consistent every night for an entire season. Um, so you know, and the same goes with goalies. And you, at Jack's point, you notice it more because they're the goalie and their mistakes end up in the net. But you know, I think Swayman will have a few more nights like this. I don't think it'll be a lot. But, you know, we'll get – there will come a point this, you know, probably in the next month or two where he's been on a good run and you're feeling comfortable about him again. And then you'll be like, God, that that was an off night. That was weird. Where'd that come from? Because that's just what rookies do because it, it's – it takes a while to, to develop into a consistent pro and to do it every night, night after night. And even the great goalies who, who are consistent pros have bad games. So – it's just bound to happen, and in this case, it happened in, the, in his second game of the season. And it, his statistics bear out that this is probably an anomaly. So this is the worst save percentage he's had in a game in his career. By far. By far. It, uh, Trade him. <laughs> he he had a 792 save, save percentage, which is definitely you know way off from what he's had in his previous 11 games, right? Um, so completely, completely different look there. He's only given up more than two goals twice. Both of them were against Philadelphia. One was last season. He gave up three goals. Another one was this game against Philadelphia where he gives up five, the most he's ever given up uh, in a game. So I think that if you just look at it and you just you just know that this isn't going to be what happens most nights. You're right, Scott. It'll happen again at some point. But sure. it's an anomaly in the statistics, and he would like to keep it that way. Yeah, I just thought that for whatever reason – he was a little bit out to lunch, and you know I thought the whole team kind of was, um, especially defensively. And with Swayman, I just thought that he didn't seem as engaged, um, you know, as he has been to to, to this point, um, fighting through screens, you know, battling in front of the net. Um, You're right because usually yeah. he that's one of the things he does yeah. best. He kind of just controls out yeah. in front of his own net, and he d- wasn't doing that as well. Yeah, it was just an off night all the way around for the team. It just sucks because we have the most annoying part is that you know we had to wait till Christmas essentially for this game. Um, they're the last team to play their first game. Then they have you know five days off between their first and second game. Yeah, it was it was three so, days in between. So yeah, five, five days. So I'm I'm like, I'm like I'm like I'm like Scotty McButter over here eating some popcorn before the game like. <laughs> Just really excited to watch some Bruins hockey again for the first time in five days, and then kind of a stinker. But hey, s- silver lining: the Canadians are already zero and four before you even played your <laughs> yeah, second game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, the Buffalo Sabers, man, three and zero. Yeah, I mean, don't look now. Florida, they're, they're on pace to the the record in points and wins. <laughs> it's not, well, it's not like the Sabers <laughs> have ever gotten off to a, a fast start and then completely fallen apart. So. No, that would never happen. Yeah, um, the year the year during the year COVID happened, but like earlier in the season before COVID, when things were still normal, they, they got off to like a like a ten and three start or something like that. Um, yeah, they had like the best record in the league. Yeah, the, they, almost the first month. They just get like, the fans' hopes up, and <laughs> then they rumor has it that's and then a, they push it down the uh, Niagara Falls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rumor has it that's the last time Jack Eichel has smiled was during that stretch. <laughs> but so let's let's get to this this second cut. It's related to goaltending, and um, it, it's just kind of like, uh, do you think that we'll miss Tuka more now that we see what could happen without him? Tuka Rask has been such a 
just you know just been kicked around this town for so many years <laughs> and i'm curious yeah, right. like is this the year where bruins fans finally start appreciating tukarask <laughs> right right they never appreciate you till you're gone right so yeah uh the the thing about tuka's style is that he isn't flashy uh, and his his preparation for the shot is so immaculate that he looks like he's not doing much all he's doing is stopping the puck better than anybody in NHL history save one guy. He's got the second best save percentage of all time. So, you know, I know, I know he hasn't won the Stanley Cup, but he's done absolutely everything else he could do for the Boston Bruins. And uh, I, I think uh, people in this season are going to appreciate him more and more as time goes on. Well, I mean, <laughs> look. I, I, your face has said, said it uh, all. Look, I mean, look, what, what, what do you want me to say, Jack? Like, obviously, Tuka's a good goalie. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, if Allmark and Swayman shit the bed this year, then, yeah, I mean, we'll be sitting there singing a different tune. But, like, <laughs> what, am I supposed to cry because he's gone? Like what am I supposed? What am I supposed? What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to appreciate him more? That is gone. Well, and I also think like it's way, it's way too early to be doing this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he likes swimming. Who Jack? Yeah, likes Jack. Swimming? We all like swimming, but like again, like Scott said, it like it's the second game of the year. Like and it's also, a little early to be to be pulling the whole oh don't you miss Tuka now card? Well, yeah. I mean to be I fair, mean, he was asked that yeah, question. Yeah, I was going to say but, leading question by Christian. Fair enough. But, fair enough. Um, yeah, and he, and he, look, here's the thing. If the Swayman Allmark tandem struggles, whether that's both of them, one of them, uh, the good news here is you can get Tuka back. Like he'll, yeah. he's, he's available. Yeah, and he's not going to play for anyone other than you. And he says he's going to be cheap. He told the Greg Hill show that at the Jimmy Fun Radio Telethon. Mm. So if you if you really do miss Tuka, like you can have him back probably sometime in January. So. Yeah. I do you know. think the premise is a little bit absurd, though. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Like everybody knew Tuca was a good goalie, but the fit and he's the fit wasn't there anymore. I think that and... was an Uncle Cracker song. I was, you son of a! <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Singapore, Brian. Da, da. I don't know actually all the words, but um, something paradise. Yeah, parking lot. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> paradise. Put a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. So, I guess... I Brian's going to sing Adele at the end of the podcast. Know, oh, my goodness. This. Adele, Adele, if you're listening. I think <laughs> if you If you're listening to the skate pod, Adele, phenomenal Hello job. Hello from the other side. Phenomenal this job on, uh, on, 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 on Take It Easy on Me. Uh, so, basically what I'm saying is, yeah, Tuca had some great years. But his injuries have piled up, and they're at the point where they're ready to move on. There was, There's no mistake about that. Swayman is the up-and-coming guy. Olmark, they also assess to be um, more what they need, probably has a lot to do with the fact that Tuca is going to be out with his injury until after after the holidays. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. I mean, you kind of had to expect that answer from Jack, but I just wanted to see your guys' reaction to, like, hey, do we miss him yet? You know, it, it feels premature. Well, also, like, you know, It'd be one thing if, like, the Bruins traded Tuca, and it's like, because they trusted in Swayman and Allmark, and it's like, oh, well, don't you miss Tuca now? Well, you know, Tuca would be, he wouldn't be playing right now anyway, because he's rehabbing surgery. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, um, again, I, I understand, uh, you know, Fourier asked him the question, but 
Yeah. No, I don't miss Tuca just yet. Not just yet. So let's let's move on to um, some of the conversation that's been had about the defensive ma- the defensive pairings that the Bruins were mm. rolling with last night and in the first game of the season. To me, they don't seem like they're a match. I cannot wait for them to go back to McAvoy Grizzlick. That well, I mean, they basically seems, already did. Like yeah. last night, it was way more Grizzlick McAvoy than former McAvoy. Yeah, and they, and they were actually in the positives and the plus minus where you know a few of the other guys weren't, but. Um, so that, that seems like what the move is going to end up being. Did any of you really think Forbert was going to stick around with McAvoy that long? Nope. I wrote as much in, in, in my season preview. I, now look, so I think this might be somewhat matchup dependent for a while. Like, I wonder if Grizzly McAvoy was the go-to Wednesday night because the Flyers are a better matchup for that. But if it's if like if they just roll with this going forward and it's now just Grizzly McAvoy, that happened a hell of a lot quicker than I was thinking. Like yeah. I thought we maybe at least have like a couple weeks, but yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's it it's they're just so much more mobile when it's Grizzly and McAvoy together. And yes, I think in a perfect world you have someone bigger next to McAvoy who can maybe handle a little bit more of the D zone load when they are in the D zone, which is not all that often, quite frankly. Um, but, like, McAvoy gets a lot of shifts with the Bergeron line. And when those four, really no matter who the fifth is, are on the ice, they spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. When the fifth guy on the ice with them is Grizzlick, he joins in everything that's going on in the offensive zone because that is where he is best as well. When Forbort's the one out there, it's like he just looks almost like just out of place. Like he, he he can't. Maybe with more time, he might be a little bit better fit. He's always going to have a simpler game than the rest of those guys. He's never going to be the one swooping behind the net, coming out the other side. Like he's not going to do that the way that McAvoy and Grizzly do. But he, right now, it's like it's so simple when he's on the ice. It's like all he can really do is like you get the puck to him at the point when you need that outlet and he quickly dumps it down to the corner or something. It doesn't it's, pass the eye test. Yes, simple simple is good though, but you know, he's not playing simple when he's pinching down the wall and giving up an odd man rush and which which led to the first goal of the game. I don't remember. He was but, on the ice for two goals against. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, the problem here look, as as well as McAvoy and Grizzly play together and as mobile as they are and um, puck possession dominant as they are when they're on the ice together. Cassidy said something in a recent media availability um, about you know, essentially they want Forbert with McAvoy because you know it takes it takes some of the pressure off McAvoy. I think in the corners. I, th- I think that when Grizzly is with McAvoy, uh, McAvoy is the obvious target on the forecheck, right? Like th- they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna identify him and whatever. But when he's with Forbert, they just think that it's gonna allow him to. Get through a shift with um, with less um, I don't know less of a target on his back uh, physically. Um, so that and that's that mindset's never going to change, which is why I think that when they're when they're down in the game or tied and they need a goal or some offense or they're just slumping offensively, you'll see him go with Grizzly. Other than that, if they're protecting a lead or it's to start a game, I think you're going to see forward with them. 
That's which, no way to play. Like protecting no oh, a lead, you shouldn't no, have but, to play differently when you're protecting a lead. Like it, it should just be your you're well, going with these two because it's the best map. It's the best pair. Yes, but Bruce Cassidy, he can only play the the hand that he's been dealt. And if we're gonna stick with that analogy, like you know, McAvoy's an ace. Forbert's like a six of clubs. Okay, and it just doesn't fit. You know what I mean? And now I, I've heard this suggested, and they're you know answer whether or not you think that this could factor into it. The durability of Grizzlick from season to season, he, he tends to get injured at some point or another. Maybe trying to keep his minutes down, like not getting full minutes with McAvoy, not getting top pairing minutes, could be one of the reasons why they've been thinking that this they want to try out this Forbert pair with McAvoy. Yeah, and I think it, you touch on, on a key point there, which is that McAvoy is going to get so much ice time and so many shifts that he's still going to have he's going to have shifts where he's not out there with the top line. He's going to have more shifts, more five and five ice time than Grizzly is. So there's still going to be an opportunity to get him shifts with Forbort. That goes for Grizzly too, by the way. Yeah, he's going to get his 18 too. Cassie said that. The yeah. Other day. What I want to see though is specifically when you have McAvoy in the top line on the ice. I want Grizzly out there because. They are going to dominate puck possession. They're going to be on the offensive zone. And that's just a, a more dynamic five-man unit when Grizzlick's there instead of forward. So that is specifically what I want to see is, like, that's your top, that's your number one five-man unit that, you know, you're going to for a good amount of your five-and-five five shifts. And then, yes, because McAvoy is going to get so much more ice time, then there's still other shifts with forward. One interesting thing that, that I've realized today when I was looking through stuff, uh, McAvoy has not yet started a shift in the defensive zone. Really? Yeah. So they're they're using him in more of an offensive situations anyways, which, like, if that's going to continue, then even more reason to have him with Grizzly, because, you know, it, I would say if McAvoy was, like, starting more shifts in the D zone, and maybe he will going forward. Obviously, he's not going to go all season not starting shifts there. You need five on five, obviously. Five on five, yeah, yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, so like right now, I'd say the usage favors putting Grizzly there, and we'll see if that continues. So, question, Scott: Like, if of the Ber- of the Bergeron's five on five shifts, what percentage of those shifts would you like to see them out there with McAvoy and Grizzly, as opposed to like a, a, a shift with the second D pair or third D pair? Uh, as many as possible, specifically. <laughs> at, especially if it's after a whistle, they can set that up. But like middle of the play, it's tough. But like you know. So just uh, so I'm pulling this you, up. You getting into the analytics? Let's, you bet. Let's, let's absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> so last night, for instance, Laughlin. Yep. <laughs> Muddy Ball Scott. Uh, last night, for instance, Bergeron played 1434 at five on five. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can imagine, all 1434 was with Marsh, and all but 12 seconds was with Pasternak. 1258 of the 1434 was with McAvoy. What site are you looking at? Uh, this is from Natural Stat Trick, my, uh, fav- my favorite website, as well, Bridget knows. That's, a cool, yep. that's actually a, that's, um, a cool stat if to I see. Could, so, if yeah, if so I could learn how to use that website, I would use it a lot more. Really? It's tough to learn? I am lost constantly. www.naturalhatch.com? No, no, no. I'm on the website. I don't oh. How to filter stuff, I still am learning. I bother Scott in the intermissions yeah. all yeah. the time. Like, hey, Scott, how do I, how do I find Do you this? have to subscribe to it? No, no it's free. You just have to, yeah, you gotta like. You know what else is free? 
the eye test. <laughs> oh, here we go. No, here no, we go. No. That's what I use. Watch the games. Keep, keep, keep your own timesheets for all the players and, and see when they're out there at the same time, I guess. But no, Scott, sorry we interrupted you to make fun of you. But uh, keep going. Yeah, but so the, my point is basically, like, that's, I don't know, what, two Bergeron shifts that were probably without McAvoy? So, yeah, so I like that. To me, like, as many shifts as possible as you can, as you can with... Grizzly and McAvoy out with that unit because it's probably the most dominant five-man unit in the NHL. Maybe Colorado could challenge it with their top line and Makar or whoever he's Gerard, with. Are they yeah. I think they're different pairs, but if they were, to... I think Makar's with Taves, which is still pretty dominant. Yeah. But yeah, so like that might be like the one that could challenge that. But I'm rolling like if I can get so in the case of last night, 13 minutes with 12, 13 minutes with that five-man unit on the ice of five-on-five, like, I'm going to like my chances to win those minutes overwhelmingly and hopefully break through for a goal or two. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up Colorado, and they're off to actually a pretty um, tough start as well. I think they're, like, one and three or something. Um, they look they looked like uh, Team Canada in their first they're one game. And, they're one and two. One, one and two. They look like Team Canada in their opener against... Um, who did they play opening night? Oh, Chicago. But... You know, when it comes to Colorado and these other, like, top teams, like, they're so fast. I, I just have a tough time envisioning the Bruins later on in the year. Their their decor, like, Forber and Carlo, who's not, neither of which are the fleetest of foot. And Riley's a good skater. He's a smooth skater, but he's not that, he's not incredibly fast either. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the Bruins decor, they need to, they got to tighten up. They, they The puck moves faster than your feet, and they, they just got to start moving the puck quicker. It's that simple. But, um, Scott and Bridget... What what have you what have you guys thought of um, the early the early indications of the second line? Uh, like, I think it's too hard or? to tell. Like I, I'm not at the point where I'm ready to judge it yet. I like what Taylor Hall is bringing. He, yeah, yeah, he looks good. I'm gonna say I, I like Hall. He we knew he was gonna have to be the player who I don't know if carries the line is quite right, but at least drives the line. Mm-hmm. And so far, he looks like someone who can do that. Yeah. Um, he looked like he looked like. Um, he looked like the MVP Taylor Hall in that goal. Very poised, very smooth. Mm-hmm. Like if you know, if he could, if he can put in thirty, that'd be awesome. Well, he he does that all warm ups, right? That goal he scores like twenty times yeah. in warm ups. So every time we're out there at the garden, we see him working on that. It was that was a layup for him, and that's one he's going to score every time. Well, it's just it's it should be a layup, and it's good to see that he's confident enough that it looks like it is. Because before he came to the Bruins, I wish they had like the full stat, but there's a crazy stat you got where... that on Natural Stat Trick? No, no, no. Um, I don't know where this one is. No, it was some. It was another site, but... Wikipedia. Over, like, <laughs> over the previous two years before he got to Boston, Taylor Hall had more breakaways than any player in the NHL, and he had... It was either, like, literally, like, zero or one goals off of them. Like, it was, like, almost mathematically impossible to fail on breakaways as much as he was, hmm. and he... He's scored a couple of them now since getting to the Bruins, and I feel like that's that's a confidence thing. Like, mm. obviously, we know Taylor Hall has the ability to score on a breakaway, but for whatever reason, whether it was in his head or he just wasn't comfortable or he wasn't—I mean, he admitted when he got to Boston that he wasn't a confident player at that point. Like, I think that's absolutely a factor. And since he's gotten here, he's been confident, and I think like that's one place where that shows. Where like it's it—it it just seems like now when he if he gets on a breakaway, he's approaching with the mindset of like I'm about to score here whereas before it's like oh boy I hope I don't miss this 
So who sprung him on that breakaway last night? Charlie McAvoy. Okay, now, are you concerned at all? Because so much of the offense in the NHL nowadays is, is derives from the back end. Are you are you concerned that the Bruins, if, if the if McAvoy will be out with the top pair so much, oh, I'm sorry, the top line so much, are you concerned that there won't be um, enough puck-moving defensemen on the second and third pairs to help t- Taylor Hall on the second line? Well, and here's where... Here's where the counter argument for splitting McAvoy and Grizzly up up comes is do you want to make sure you have a puck mover on each pair? Because dis- despite his bad game, I like Mike Riley and I think he can be that on his pair. You know, we know I, I think Carlo's gotten better in that area, but I don't think that's ever gonna be his strength. Mm. Um Riley I like. Like look, he was a player who, he had a lot of assists last year. Like he, I think yeah, he, he was did. Top ten in, among NHL defensemen in a yeah, sense. Yeah, he was good. Um, and and Grizz, like if he's on the third pair, he does that for that pair. Whereas if your third pair is Forbort Clifton, that's limited. You know that kind of puck movement is not either of those guys' strength. And you're looking at you know a more a simpler breakout where you're probably not taking chances on a stretch pass. Which if they're out there with like the third and fourth line, then maybe it has to be a little greasier and. You know, you're not going to spring guys, even though that third line now, you would like to have someone who can spring a DeBrusque or a Hala right. once in a while. So. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Riley in that first game was getting some power play time. Was it not with that that unit? It was the second unit? Yeah. He, so actually, it was interesting. So Riley was on the second power play unit in the first game, and Grizzly was there last night more. Well, so. well, Riley didn't get a single second of power yeah. play time last night, and in the first game, uh, Grizzly, I think it was got like fifteen seconds yeah. of power play time. Weren't Grizzly and Riley together as a tandem on a second unit during the preseason games where most of the team dressed? Um, I thought no. I think no? it was mostly it was one, one defense. It was one or the other. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, look. I. I. I I tweeted out last night out of frustration. I'm all set with Mike Riley, but that was just in the moment. I, 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 I like I like him. I just think, if the, but when he when he's when he, because last year, especially early on, I thought he struggled a little bit in the playoffs actually. But early on, he was very very effective at making that first read and and going with it and and and, and making that initial breakup pass. And and what you're seeing lately. And I said this off the top is that he's 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 holding on to it too long. And he's overthinking, and you know I just think they need to again go back to what they what they do best and just trust their instincts. That goes for all these guys. Like they're pro athletes, they've been doing this their whole life, and um, you know you overthink things. The, the game's too quick. These players are too fast. If if you if you wait, like they're all over you, and they'll telegraph what you want to do. But normally, uh, Riley is a confident player in transition. Like he's yeah. a guy that can. Carry the puck through the neutral zone, get it in over the blue line, get get everything set up, and that's something that Cassidy expects him to do. And to be honest, there's going to be a lot of players that need to step up in the transition game and, and get in getting things settled up in the offensive zone since Krejci's gone because he was yeah. one of the best they had at doing that. And then so you need other guys to pick it up. Riley's somebody that they lean on for that. Um, obviously, he made the mistake in that area last game, but in general, um, he's confident in that transition game and. You know, other people will have to be too. I mean, at that point, you're right, Bridget. And I think Carlo's a guy going into this year. I I, I want him to take that next step. Um, I want him to be, you know, I want him to be a like, a real tough guy to play against in his own zone and use his size. Um, but but I want to see him improve in the transition game too. But like last night, th- that play with Riley again, like 
you get to a certain point where you just gain the red line and get it in yourself. You know what I mean? Like, he's on his own blue line, and he goes for a quick, you know, seven-foot pass to his right on the right-wing boards at the red line. You know, just take it yourself, gain the red line, get it in. If you got to move the puck, move it quick. And now you're stuck in no-man's land. And, um, again, it, you can chalk it up to whatever you want. Rust, early season jitters, overthinking, too much practicing, whatever. Um you know, I just think when this decor plays their best game, I still think they need improve, personnel improvements at some point in time. It's a conversation for a later date. Um, but for what they have right now, you just got to simplify it. Simple as that. Was there another Jack quote? Yes, we got we got one more um, that I wanted you guys to touch on. And we actually really haven't spent that much time talking about the top line um, because they're usually not the ones that are having the issues. Um, and so Jack had something to say about how Marshawn's played in these first two games of the season. Once again, we're still really, really early in yeah. the season to, to know these kind of things, but um, he was very optimistic about uh, Marshawn's numbers for this season. Marshawn had just a spectacular game. I mean, the guy, the guy maneuvered through such tight spaces was physical, was fast, uh, pressured guys with his defense, and he was spectacularly creative. Uh, the, the guy's off to an MVP start. If the Bruins can put together uh, a long winning streak and, and he gets a point streak going, uh, he's going to get serious consideration for the heart. I mean, he already is. Uh, two of the last three years, he's been in the top five. Yeah, so I guess it, this kind of comes back to what qualifies as MVP consideration because Jack mentions he's been he's had a top five finish two of the last three years. I think he'll be right in that range again. Like if he stays healthy and plays the way he's capable of playing, that's you know that's about what I would expect. Um, if MVP consideration means like, do you have a real chance to win? I think as long as long as Connor McDavid's healthy, like that's really tough to do. As long as Leon Draisaitl's healthy, that's really tough to do. Nathan McKinnon, even Austin Matthews, like. But McDavid specifically, it's like Martian just isn't, probably isn't going to put up those kind of numbers because no one does, with the exception of Draisaitl. But um, you know, I mean, look, McDavid and Draisaitl both already have eight points in three games, so it's. They're off to as hot a start as anyone. They're off to, you know, right back to the way that they always play. And, yeah, you know, like, there's there's nothing new we're going to say about Martian. He's awesome. And I think another top five finish is absolutely in play. Um, but it would take something really, really special from Martian or, you know, something happening to those other top guys, I think, for him to have a real chance to win. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, Connor McDavid is, it's unfair. I mean, he that's the only word I can describe. He is on such a different level than every other professional hockey player in the world that it's it's incredible. Um, you know, he he's over 82 games, McDavid. I mean, the sky is the limit. It really is. I, I could see him putting up 100... 40 points I really could and, and it's crazy because you know back in the day the 80s um early 90s like with Gretzky and and some of those guys like you know those they were putting up two averaging two points a game over the course of a season um but 
which which was impressive in its own right because back then you could get away with murder on the ice. Um, whereas today, if you sneeze on somebody, it's too it's a minor penalty. But where the where that kind of is made up for is in the speed of the game and the skating, everybody's and, and the goalies. The goalies yeah. are so much better now. Um, so yeah, Scott, like I, I don't see anybody. You know, beating McDavid or Drysaddle or, Mc- or those two specifically in points, but like, you know, if the if 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 McDavid put up like a hundred thirty points, and the Oilers coast to a second place finish in the division and make the playoffs or or win the division, but then Marshan puts up like a hundred fifteen hundred twenty, which he absolutely could, um, and the Bruins you know get that second wild card. Well, now the debate is more like okay, well who's who is more valuable to their team making the playoffs, and 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 that would be Marshan's only chance. I mean, Marshan, I want to say. And it's been tough the last few years because of um, shortened seasons. But, I mean, he's averaged well over a point a game. I mean, the last handful of years. I mean, Marshan, a hundred points is definitely in his in his sights. Well, for he's sure. had a hundred point season before in two thousand eighteen, oh, yeah. nineteen. So uh, yeah, I and just then think... eighty five, eighty five, eighty seven, like uh, and, big and, numbers. Right, but I, I guess the the big stat is he he's over a point per game player in this league. Well, last year he had 69 points in 53 games, so. Yeah, so, I mean, if, the, if that's 82, I mean, I, I'm not really going to do the math, but. Yeah, last season was his best in terms yeah. of points per game of yeah. his career so far. I, I think what separates Marchand from Pasternak and, I hate to say it, but even Bergeron, is that when, when, when he's not having a good game for his standards or the team is having an off night, he still finds a way to impact the score sheet, whereas Bergeron always impacts the game off the score sheet, but Marchand can ha- go out there and, and have a shit game for his own standards. But, you know, he still finds a way to score because he doesn't need the perfect situation. Not, not that Pashnak does. Pashnak's one of the best goal scorers in the world because he can score in so many different ways. But, like, Marchand, he'll, he'll sneak behind the goalie and get one off his skate. Like, he just finds a way. It's it's other things too that it's other things too though with Marshane like last year with no fans in the arenas like the, the Bruins had a they had a bunch of duds a bunch of games so it was like I'd rather read a book than watch this game and you know he still found ways to kind of mix it up and, and, and get involved physically and emotionally and I think that's what makes him an MVP player off the score sheet as well. Yeah, and you know obviously we're getting far ahead of things here, but if like if it came to that, then the other thing that would work against Marshan is his line mates, the fact that he plays with. Bergeron and Pasternak, um, whereas McDavid and Dreisaitl do not play on the same line at 5-on-5. Five five. Now, that they put up a bajillion points playing on the same power play unit, um, but like McDavid's with Zach Hyman and uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, and, you know, not slouches, but certainly not Bergeron and Pasternak. So, like, that's, right. a, that's another thing that I think works specifically for McDavid, but really for both of those Edmonton guys, is that they're on separate lines. Mm. Like the year that Dreisaitl won, it was like one he was hot when McDavid was out injured, but two he was hot even when McDavid was healthy and they weren't on the same line. So, um, you know that's kind of another little edge that that McDavid gets. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, yeah, uh, look, it's 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 McDavid's award to lose for the next yeah. fifteen years. <laughs> Just the way that it is, the kid is it's unbelievable. Um, look, I. I, I you bring up that top line, Scott. Like, it's. I know they addressed their depth this year. Um, you know, I just wish. I wish there are times where I wish the Bruins had that luxury where they could split up those guys and 
to help their lineup, but they're so good together. And we've seen it, you know, we've seen it in the past. They've split the top line up, and, and, and you know, the the re- results weren't always there. And that was with Krejci um, as your second-line center. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you had, again, they never really did it a ton, but you had more leeway to do it when it was Krejci, because Pasternak legitimately liked playing with Krejci. Obviously, he loves playing with Bergeron and Marshan, but, like, when he would get moved on that line, it was like, you could sense kind of like an excitement. Well, Krejci was his like idol. Yeah, like you could sense like he was like excited to play with Krejci. Like even though it was moving off the, his normal line, like he was excited to play with Krejci. It was yeah. like um, playing with your big brother. Yeah, and it it didn't happen for any long stretch for many years. You know, er- earlier in his career it did. Yeah, but not any time in recent years. But now it's like if you were gonna try it. You're dropping Pasternak down to Coil like they've never played together, yeah. or you know if, if you're calling up Stanika or something like having Taylor Hall on the left helps. Like you can maybe sell Pasternak on that, but you know it's but it's very different. Like there's no there's no previous chemistry there on or off the ice really. You know it's interesting you bring that up because last year I think for. For a split second, we saw Craig Smith with Bergeron. Yeah, I was actually just about to say that he he actually played fine yeah. with them. He well, played well. Look at look at those two over the years. the The relationship between Marshan and Bergeron started in, um, we'll call it the second half of, or first half of 2011, and their their first running mate was Mark Recchi. All they did was win a Stanley Cup together. Um, then it was Sagan, and you know they were still a Cup team. Then it was Yager. Then it was Riley Smith. Then it was Louis Erickson. I mean, and then eventually um, Pashnak came along. My point is, no matter who that right wing is, that line has always been highly effective. So The question really is how to get the second line going, and would it work to get the second well, line going? Here, here's the real question. If you want to go as deep as you can in the playoffs with their roster, are you better off having one perfection line or... Uh, a really good top line or whatever with without Pashnak and then having a really good second line with Hall, Pashnak, and then maybe a Stanika or a Coil. Maybe look, I mean Stanika between those two could be it could be a really good line. We just it's we don't even know what that would look like. I'm just saying it could be. Yeah. The, and- I, 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 the question for you, Scott, is like if you're the Bruins if they want to go to the promised land, do you think eventually they'd be better off with a little bit more like Chicago with Taves and Kane splitting up some of the some of the party? I'm going to take the cop-out op- option and say that it depends on the matchup. Um, because if you're in a series where that line is effective and doing what they do, then I'm not touching them. Where I would say you have to consider it, and maybe this is why you want to give it a shot at some point during the season, just so they have that experience, is I look at the Islanders series last mm-hmm. year where the Islanders have a tremendous shutdown line with Jean-Gabriel Peugeot at center that legitimately neutralizes that line. Like, not hangs on for dear life and gets lucky that the puck doesn't go in, but, like, legitimately limited their chances and kept them to the outside. And that's one where I think... Cassidy should have been willing and was like at the very end of the series finally moved Pasternak to the second line for a few shifts. 
but should have been willing to do that earlier because it was clear that that Peugeot line like had the Bergeron line's number as much as any line in recent years has. And that's one where like I just think you should have said, hey, you know what? Can Hall, Krejci, Pasenak become our scoring line? Yeah. And and give that a chance to, to break that up and... I would have liked to see that line more. I think that yeah. would that there was a little bit of a missed opportunity yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think and look, we all love the top line, like you know, but we're we're trying to we're trying to you know play devil's advocate, play, like like we've because ultimately this team has not won a cup with that top line. They've run into a they've run into problems uh, scoring after them at, at points. So it's more about spreading out the lineup more than it is splitting them up. But like I think, I'm starting to worry a little bit about the second line, because I think that you really need two playmakers on a line, a scoring line, right? So like last year you had the top line, obviously they're sick, but then you had Krejci and Hall, and you had and, and there's your two playmakers. Whereas Craig Smith is more of he's not he's not his effort can create things, but he's not skill wise going to create something out of nothing. He's more of a worker, and then he can finish. But, like, Hall and Krejci were the playmakers. Now, with that second line, in my opinion, you have one playmaker in Taylor Hall. And Coyle and Smith, I don't see them individually as great playmakers. They're good players. But, you know, that's my concern with them. So, I'm a little bit more concerned about that line. My point is, I think Krejci's presence was a lot more beneficial for Craig Smith, ultimately, than it was Taylor Hall, because Taylor Hall can create his own offense. And I'm starting to be a little worried about that that tandem long-term, or that, that trio long-term, whereas Jack Sinica, he's a playmaker, and maybe he could solve that. I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm still taking a patient approach for now. Like, you're right. Like, the what you're laying out is absolutely a distinct possibility that could be coming here over the next month or so, where we get a larger sample size and we're still looking at it saying, okay, you know, outside of hall, they're not really creating enough. Um, definitely a possibility. I'm, you know, let's right now I'm at a point where I'm saying, let's give it a little more time, recognizing that. Yes, that definitely could, it could be the way this goes. Let's give it a little more time. Let's see how coil as he continues to get up to full speed do, does with those two wings. Cause he's never had wings that talented. Let's see what that looks like. Craig Smith, let's remember, got off to a slow start last he year. Did. So maybe he's, you know, some players are just kind of slow starters. Maybe maybe that's him. You know, look, it's two games in. So let's see. You know, let's give him a chance to get going here. So, um, and to your point, the Stanika possibility, maybe that becomes a better possibility with him getting a little more seasoning in Providence. And maybe a month from now, if you, you know, don't like what the second line looks like, maybe you feel like Stadnik is in a better place and he might be ready to handle that, you know, more ready than he is now. So it's going to require some patience, and there's probably going to be games that they don't look great, but you're, you're hoping that they keep building, that they get better, you know, on the whole from week to week, and, you know, reevaluate. And, you know, I, I say everyone uses, like, that Thanksgiving benchmark, yeah. so... Maybe around that time we see, you know, we've got a decent sample size at that point, and you 
have a better idea of what you have or don't have on your site online. Yeah. I'm with you. Patience is a virtue. I'm, I'm not. I'm not panicking. It's just you know, in, in the in the essence of just you know shooting the shit on this podcast. It's just you know, I, I'm guilty of looking looking long term sometimes. Like, I, obviously, it's only two games. Um, Bridget, would you say you know long term and short term? Are you more concerned about the Bruins' defense forward grouping? Or in that, if you had to choose uh, one. Defense. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they haven't found the pairings quite yet. They haven't found the balance. I'm not sure if Forbert was the answer. Um, they definitely need another piece back there. And we haven't seen we haven't seen it really play out the way maybe Cassidy and management thought that it would so far. I'm, that's what I'm most skeptical of. I think I said that in our season preview yes. as well. And yes. what they'll need most of the trade deadline is to make a move on defense. I still believe that to be the case. Obviously, we're talking a week later, so yeah. I haven't really changed too much on that. There was one other thing. I We're winding down, but there was one other thing that because we haven't gotten into the first game all that much, we haven't talked about really the third line too much, but Scott actually had a piece up about Jake DeBrusque, and he's someone we've... I don't even know if we said his name maybe once today. Um, That's a good thing, though. Exactly. No, it is, and, and you're talking about being patient with certain guys. This is a guy the Bruins were very, very patient with, and now he's looking better, obviously... He had a goal in the first game, but uh, so I guess I'll throw it to Scott first because you're the one who who wrote a piece about him. What were your feelings about him in that first game and and where he's headed? And were they right to be patient with him and not try to deal him? Um, yeah. So my take as far as dealing him was always if you can get something of value, sure, like absolutely listen to offers. If you thought, like, you know, this isn't fixable. Obviously, the the Bruins, you know, to their credit, came to the conclusion that it was fixable. And so whether it was that or the fact that they just couldn't get any value, there wasn't a market, whatever the case, they stuck with him, they brought him back, and not even as, like, a, well, he's here, maybe he'll win a job, maybe he'll be 13th forward, like, who knows. No, like, he... Once they kind of got through like that signing spree, you looked at the roster and it was like, oh, Jake DeBrusque is the third line left wing. Like that's how this lineup slots together, mm. and and that's how it's worked out, and that's how they've kept it. Um, the first game was really encouraging. It was a carryover of the DeBrusque that we saw in the preseason. You know, going to the net, using his speed, being aggressive, like that's exactly what you want to see. It's what we had seen in the preseason. Um, you know, gets a goal in the opener. Uh, breaks out the, the old DeBrusque, you know, enthusiastic fist pump. Hashtag like, Sally season. Yep. <laughs> where, where, like, I, I made note of this, but it was like, do you remember, like, the couple, obviously he didn't score a ton of goals last year, but when he did score was last year. Yeah, five. Do you remember like how subdued his celebrations were? Where it was like it was like he knew It was more like a thank God rather than a yeah, oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And now and now like you just see more excitement from him. And Cassidy and like his teammate, Martian mentioned this as well. Like they just said he has like a better energy at practice, away from the rank. He just seems to be in such a better place this year. And you know, I think that comes with confidence, which he obviously didn't have last season, um, and has right now, and has built up over the preseason. Now, the second game, I thought, like we've as we already said, like no one really had a good game, except for probably McAvoy. 
I thought he was quieter. I thought that line as a whole was quieter. Then Felino gets hurt and things start shuffling around. Um, you know, but like, I'm not going to be like, oh, the preseason in the first game was an aberration because DeBrus didn't do much in the second game. Like, yeah. no, no I, it, was, it was a quiet game for a lot of guys. I, so. I tend to think that he's a, he's about to start um, a stretch where maybe he passes that five goal mark, you know. Let's say like 15 games into the season, like he could go on a stretch where he's more effective. So uh, I think that he's going to do a lot better this year, just the way he's been carrying himself. Um, so Scott's right about that. And but but the question now comes: there's there's still just what are they going to do with the third line if Felino's out? So yeah, I mean, I think obviously if he, if he's out a decent chunk, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Stanika. I mean, I think it should be. You know, I think. Um, but I mean. I don't mean in terms of the third line as a whole. I mean in terms of how it affects Jake. I think, look, it sounds to me like DeBrusque has said as much, and the reporters keep harping on it, which gets kind of awkward after as many times they keep asking about this. But, yeah, um, Scott. No, not, not well, maybe, maybe Scott. Scott had a question what, to do, him. do you know what I'm going to say? What's, what, what's the big question everybody keeps talking to him about? Like It's like, you know, so uh, it's a different variation, but it's like, you know, is it good to, good to be back with you know your teammates and without with lesser restrictions? And oh yeah. It's like and DeBrusque answer is like always like yeah you know it's tough last year I'm a single guy and you know it's tough to be out there by yourself and it's like dude like all right enough of the questions we get it it was COVID you live by yourself and it was tough on you mentally whatever. But to, to thank God to my credit I don't think I've no, asked you, that no because you, <laughs> you 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 don't ask dumb questions like that I don't think if you do I'll, I'll be listening. So sometimes I do. Um, we'll, we'll we'll grab one. At some but yeah, point, it's but. A, it's the same thing. It's it's just like yeah, you know, it's tough. You know, I'm a single guy living in the city, but um, better be back now. With, you know, the less restrictions, and it, he's always smiling at one of his teammates in the background because they're probably ripping on him or something. But if that's why he's feeling better, that's why he's feeling better. But I think that another thing to keep an eye on with DeBrusque is is he going to get some um, you know top power play minutes at some point because you know last year. Um, I mean, uh, this year so far, he's uh, the t- the top unit's been over- overthinking, um, not not really using that shot first mentality. And if the power play continues to struggle, you know, Debreska's first few years in Boston, you know, he w- he was kind of goal line where Taylor Hall's working right now, and he was pretty effective at it. Um, the Bruins have always had a top power play in the league, and Debreska was a part of that for quite some time. So, if if his play is is, is where it needs to be in the top unit maybe struggles. Maybe he gets back in the first unit, but that's a ways away. Um, I just think DeBrusque is in a better place for whatever reason. I, I don't think his center should really affect that, Bridget. Are we all good? Yeah. Nothing else? No more Jack quotes? No, no, we're done with Jack. Uh, he had quite a, a lot to say, but I do want to reiterate, he'll be on with MF Yes. most weeks after the Bruins game. Yes. Every, every Thursday. Guest, every Thursday. Bruins Thursday. Uh, Bruins Thursday Which here. Which also features uh, Andrew Raycroft on Gresham Keeve and Mike Milbury on the Great Hill Show. So Ooh. yeah, we're, we're ramping up the Bruins coverage here. So yes. um, you'll get to hear all those guys if you want um, in the podcasted versions from today and in Thursdays to come. So I just figured we'd... O- over under on how many how many um, Bruins opponents should get suspended this year according to Jack Edwards. Well, we're already at least at one, how right? Many, how many malicious intents are there going to be on the broadcast? I'm going to set the... I'll, 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 say, I'll, say, I'll say 10. I'll say 10. Set me t- over under 10. He's already one over. for one. Yeah, over. He's already one I'm for one. Over. Mirror Heiskin, like one of like the cleanest <laughs> players in the league. He's like a five foot nine Finnish kid. Probably like, you know, runs a non-profit somewhere in Dallas. I don't Jack's think they asked him about that, though. 
They should Maybe have. we'll give them that question for next week. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess I wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I was uh, I was hoping they would ask him. I, I want to hear the Jack rant because I know it's in there somewhere about a Bruins game on Friday night being exclusively on ESPN Plus and Hulu. Like, yes. I feel like we'll grab that. Jack we'll grab has that. an... Jack just has such a great rant, ready to go for that. And it, it didn't... I don't think they touched on it today. Um, uh, no, they didn't. But... I Like you tweeted, I think it's going to catch people by surprise yeah. when oh, they so, can't so find it. So if you're it. listening to this on Friday, know that Friday night's game against Buffalo you, is on ESPN Plus and Hulu. Do, so. do, you know, do you know why I saw your tweet on that? Which is weird, because obviously I, I follow you. I mean, obviously I have you muted, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I follow you, but I I, I saw your tweet because it was quote tweeted by Butchergrass, yeah, which was which was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean ESPN, it is kind of tough. There's so many streaming services now. It's like, um, thank God I have ESPN Plus, but it is it is funny. It's like yeah, if if if, you only, if all you have is cable, it's like you can't watch the Bruins. It's it's 2021. It's the world we live in now, but it's what it is. Yeah, and it, it's it's like I was thinking about this last night, and it's at. I know you guys love when I mention how big of a soccer fan I am. Um, Go Rebs. <laughs> yeah, the, the the one Boston team that won on Wednesday night, yep. by the way. Town goes one for four. Rebs get the only win. Um, <laughs> that was the, uh, that's absurd. The, that I hope you didn't went, take oh, the Boston that's parlay. That's absurd <laughs> that the Boston parlay Poor went that way. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that, and they weren't even close. Like, the Sox, the Bruins, they, they well, both... Well, the Celtics went to double yeah, overtime, they did, but they you did. knew they were going to lose But the Sox, I mean, the Sox game was over in the third. The Bruins just... Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Scott, go ahead. Um, the Revs. Soccer, soccer, soccer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I almost feel like I'm, like, coming, like, from the future, like, as a soccer fan, because, like, soccer fans have already been through this whole jumbled mess of games moving to streaming services and, like, have already got, like, all that anger out of their system. You... Like, if you go back, like, probably two, three years, you'll find, like, tweets from me at, like, NBC Sports or Peacock about putting Premier League games on Peacock exclusively. And it's, like, eventually, if you just care enough about, like, watching the games, you just become a defeated person, and you give in, and you just buy the friggin' streaming service, and you throw more of your money away, and you just, like, accept your new reality. Well, here's here's what you gotta do. You gotta get the package... Between uh, it's like Disney, Hulu, and ESPN yeah. Plus all mm. at the same time. Then you can watch Baby Yoda, the <laughs> Bruins. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is like I actually like it because um, the other night when the Bruins opened their season against Dallas, I'm sitting there. I got the I got the Red Sox Astros game two. I think it was on my TV. I got the Bruins stars on my lap on. So I was watching. Yeah, and I was watching them both on Fubo because like you can use the same streaming service on different devices simultaneously. But yeah, I, I have the was last that just, night. Was that just a plug for Fubo? No, I <laughs> it kind of felt like a tagline at the end of I a mean, commercial. <laughs> well, it wasn't meant to be. Well, but, but like so, but, okay. Well, Fubo, get this shit straight because last night I had to watch the Bruins on um, uh, uh, YouTube TV because Fubo does not have TNT. Yeah. So because Fubo doesn't have TNT, I had to go out and get YouTube TV because obviously hockey's on TNT this year, um, and I like to watch AEW. But so yeah, last night, Fubo, you suck. Um, okay, that wasn't definitely not their tagline. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I I I, uh, I was slow to the to the streaming service game, but now I'm like I'm like watching something on my phone, my laptop, and my and my TV at the same time. So. And, and the ESPN Plus subscription is nice now because all the hockey that, games. Yeah, it, yeah, that it replaced NHL Center Ice. Like yeah. you get every out of market game. And now. don't let's let's not forget. In order to watch me, you have to be on ESPN Plus. Also so, true. I uh, <laughs> I also have a broadcast on Friday. So yes, if yes. you got ESPN Plus. Yeah. So wait, you're on you're on. You're on ESPN Plus Friday. Yeah. And then you're on... Then, then you're on next Nesson. weekend... She's on Nesson. I'm on... Taking Jack's job. ESPN Plus Friday, Saturday, Nesson on Sunday. So I'll be watching... Halloween, right? Halloween, yeah. Yeah. So I'll be yeah I'll be trick-or-treating with Nesson Plus on my phone, whatever it's called. <laughs> but, um, yeah, actually, it's cool because I've been watching... Um, like So ESPN Plus, like they have, like you said, Scott... Like, A bunch all, of college hockey. All out-of-market games, college hockey games... And then, like, I simultaneously, I can go to, um, you know, Fubo or YouTube TV or whatever, and like see what's on NHL Network or whatever. So it's like a the fall is a great time of year for sports. There's a lot to watch now. Um, Too much yesterday. Yeah, it's a little. It's it, a was, little it was overwhelming. It, it is overwhelming. I was getting um, yelled at. Change it to change it back to the Red Sox. So I was like, I gave up on the Red Sox already. Actually, I mean, if, if all you know what, if Erod didn't point at the watch, the Sox would have won the series by now. <laughs> That's on him. What? Yeah, it's like what, like eighteen to three? They've been outscored since that, it's or tough. something. It's like it's, 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 it's a tough look. <laughs> it's a real tough look. But hopefully the Sox can pull it off. I mean, it, it's been done before by this team. We've seen it before. So anyway, um, I think that wraps up episode sixty-five, the the Nameless Bruin episode, and we'll be back next week with sixty-six, another Nameless Bruin, and um, we'll talk to you guys then. So thanks for listening.